the conversation we're about to have, well, if your mayor or local commissioners were having it, that could possibly be illegal. It's about a decades-long gunfight over who has the right to control firearms in the state of Florida and the consequences for local officials who test the waters. I don't want to be caught on record voting to repeal the prohibition of the firing of guns in our parks and recreation system. Every year, lawmakers in Florida meet in Tallahassee to propose and pass new laws, present a budget, and represent their communities in the state capitol. And in recent years, that agenda has included a targeted focus, keeping towns and cities from making too many of their own rules, rules that could end up influencing policy around the state. This is Tallahassee Takeover from WLRN News. I'm Danny Rivero. And I'm Katie Swetelsky-Munoz. The world of gun laws in Florida used to be nothing like it is today. Gun control efforts and even the way we're allowed to talk about gun control have changed so many times. Local officials have been banned from passing gun control rules for decades in Florida. And just this year, a law was passed that some argue makes it illegal to even talk about gun control. We'll get to that later. But first, how we got here. Dade County passed what would today have been considered a strict gun law back in 1966. It forced gun dealers to tell police the names of anyone who bought guns and created a three-day waiting period for buying handguns. And since there were no restrictions on passing local gun laws, every city and every town had flexibility. And they could respond to things that happened immediately. Like, take the case of a mass shooting that happened in Hialeah in 1982. The following two clips are from WPLG and WFOR. When Carl Brown walked into this Hialeah gun shop last Friday morning, all he had to do was fill out the appropriate forms, plunk down his money, and take his shotgun. Because in the city of Hialeah, there is no 72-hour cooling-off period for buying a shotgun. Hialeah resident Carl Brown walked into a welding shop and opened fire with a shotgun, killing eight employees. It was a grisly scene. Authorities said he was upset over an issue with his lawnmower. The single-handed killing of eight people set a Dade County homicide record. Just days after that mass shooting, Hialeah passed a three-day waiting period on buying rifles and shotguns. South Florida in the 1980s was a notoriously violent place. The international drug trade fueled a crime wave, and Dade County officially became the murder capital of the nation. Shootouts happened in broad daylight, and the Dade County morgue at one point had to bring in refrigerated trucks to handle all the bodies. And that shifting perception of South Florida in particular led to a wave of local gun restrictions. Palm Beach County and Broward County passed their own ordinances in the mid-80s, and one of the strictest of them was in Broward. This is an old news clip from WTVJ. In Broward, you can pay for your gun and take it home immediately. Until March 1st, that is. That's when the county's new gun control ordinance goes into effect. That Broward County ordinance in the early 1980s was especially crazy to imagine from the perspective of 2021. It did a lot of things that are hard to imagine a local government getting away with today. And I should just warn you, there are sounds of gunshots ahead in this old news clip from WTVJ. Here are the main points. One, you must have a county permit to buy a handgun in Broward County. 
too. It will take up to 21 days to get the permit so the county can do a background check. Illegal aliens, persons with criminal records or history of mental illness will be denied permits. Three, a lost or stolen gun must be reported to police within 72 hours. Four, you can't buy more than five handguns in 90 days without first notifying the sheriff's department. Broward County Commissioner at the time, Howard Foreman, is the one that sponsored the measure. I think we can save a few lives. I think we could keep the honest people honest. You could catch some of the borderline people and uh, to prevent them to committing an act that they shouldn't commit. And you're going to probably catch many other people who are lying on their application that really should not own a handgun. It's not going to cut crime 50%. It's not going to do miraculous things, but it is an aid to do so. We had some pretty heated uh, public hearings over at the county on the subject. Jim Noggle was a Fort Lauderdale city commissioner in 1985. He remembers the whole city commission leaning more conservative, and they were up against a more liberal county commission in Broward, among other groups. You know, a lot of it was these large condominium complex that had a lot of political power had an armed guard at the gate and people felt safe, then they didn't feel that they needed to arm arm themselves. And then those of us in a single family area uh, without that sort of protection and with a police department that couldn't be everywhere, we just knew that the best way to make sure that our family was safe is to be able to protect ourselves. The city voted to reject the county law that would have made people wait 21 days to get a permit to buy or sell a gun. Noggle remembers the county process as clunky. You had to go before the sheriff. You had to have, uh, you know, a reason. For instance, if if you were a landlord and you collected rent and cash, you might be granted a license because people felt that you were vulnerable because everyone in the neighborhood knew that you had cash. Or if you were a liquor store owner or something like that in a, in a high-risk area. A lot of people really liked the Broward County Gun Control Ordinance. There's a reason that it passed. But it also created problems. Because under the Broward Charter, cities could opt out of some of the county gun control measures. And this really led to a patchwork of gun laws just inside of Broward County alone. Things like how you can buy a gun and where you can have a gun. So this is a situation in the mid-1980s not just in Broward County, but across the whole state. And the gun lobby at some point starts to get upset about this. According to the National Rifle Association, the NRA, there were more than 400 local gun laws, mostly south of Orlando. So this was mostly a South Florida phenomenon. It was difficult if you had a firearm and you had different regulations in different locations, it was hard to keep track of everything. It would be as if uh, cities or counties started regulating automobiles and you couldn't drive certain automobiles in some cities or counties. It, it just didn't make any sense. By the time 1987 comes around, the state government says no more. And local cities and counties can no longer make their own measures about gun control. The legislature passes a blanket ban across the whole state. Some of the biggest opponents to this ban on local gun control measures were actually sheriffs and law enforcement. At the time, they argued that the ban would make violent crime go up. And I just want to remind people, it's Democrats that did this. Democrats controlled the Florida House and the Florida Senate at the time. But it was Republican Governor Bob Martinez that actually signs this into law. 
And what passing this law actually means is that all those local gun laws that were on the books became illegal basically overnight. Because after 1987, this state's the only one that can regulate gun sales, give concealed carry permits, and things like that. Because the state didn't like the fact that every city and county had its own rules. And Fort Lauderdale City Commissioner Jim Noggle and his colleagues on the city commission basically celebrated when the state took over control because it meant he could get a concealed carry permit without the harsh restrictions of Broward County. Several of us on the city commission went and got our permits after that, and I've I've been uh, concealed carrying ever since. And so that statewide ban played a big role in where we are today. This 1987 ban was one of the very first major moves by the Florida state government to limit local decision-making in general. I know we're talking about gun control here, but this was one of the first times Tallahassee really took steps to limit local decision-making, period. Not everyone followed the state law. Some local governments still tried to pass their own gun control measures after 1987. The city of South Miami, for example, in 2000, passed a local law about gun locks. And Lee County, they passed a ban on having a gun at the beach. And it was only under the threat of a lawsuit that they reversed the commission's decision. My name's Marion Hammer. I represent the National Rifle Association and Unified Sportsmen of Florida. If you're a gun enthusiast, Marion Hammer is the savior of freedom in the state of Florida. And if you like gun control, she's basically your arch enemy. But the point is that Marion Hammer, who we just heard from speaking to the Florida legislature, is incredibly powerful here. She's the one who proposed and pushed through the state's Stand Your Ground law, for example. And she was a driving force behind that 1987 law. And since that law passed, she was alarmed that counties and cities kept making their own laws about guns, years after the state said they couldn't. Cities and counties have been doing what they wanted to do, and nobody has been held accountable unless we took them to court. And we're tired of going to court. We're in 2011 now, and as you can hear, Marion Hammer is really not happy with where things stand. 2011 is another crucial year for gun control law in Florida. Marion Hammer goes in front of the state legislature, and during a hearing, she tells the story about how the NRA sued the city of South Miami for that 2000 law requiring trigger locks for guns in homes with children. And the NRA won that lawsuit. That particular lawsuit cost the NRA and its members over a quarter of a million dollars. It's not the NRA's responsibility to enforce state law but nobody else will do it because there are no specified penalties. And frankly, we have better things to do with our money than suing to enforce Florida law. And taking up the fight alongside her at the same hearing is Florida representative at the time, Matt Gates. The same Matt Gates, who is a Republican U.S. congressman from North Florida now. In 2011, he backs Hammer and introduces a bill to beef up that original 1987 ban on local gun control and put some teeth on it. There's little to no risk for a local government 
to pass an unconstitutional ordinance because the worst thing that's going to happen to the local government is that they'll litigate with public dollars and the worst thing that will happen will be that the ordinance would be deemed to be unconstitutional. In the status quo, there are no penalties, there's no fines, there's no fees, there's no negative consequences for a local government. And so the strategy that some local governments have taken is to pass anti-gun ordinances and then uh, wait and see if they're sued. So basically, Matt Gates wants to create penalties for violating Florida law. But he's also kind of conflating violating a state law with violating the U.S. Constitution, which are two completely different things. Just because a city decides to pass a local law doesn't mean that they're violating the Constitution. There's tons of different gun laws and regulations in every part of the country that exist within the confines of the Constitution. And I just really want to make that clear when we're hearing this. Yeah, and that seems to really get conflated in a lot of these different discussions, Danny, whether it's in terms of civil rights, the Second Amendment. But what we're talking about here is state law, not the Second Amendment. I just want to add to that. What Gates wants to happen is to see elected officials in cities or counties get personal fines for trying to enact any local gun control in their area. Personal fines for local lawmakers who go against state law. And this is not standard. This is new territory for the state of Florida. What it means is that if a local official passes a gun control ordinance where they live, they could be fined. Gates originally pushed for a $5 million fine and was ultimately reduced down to $5,000. The local official could also be removed from office and they can't use any taxpayer dollars to back them in court if they get sued. According to the Giffords Law Center, named for former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, Florida's law was the first in the country to have these kinds of personal penalties and fines against lawmakers for trying to tackle gun control. Again, here's then-Florida Representative Matt Gates talking about that law in 2011. We would handcuff the ability of local governments to pass any ordinance that would violate the Constitution. But I think it's also important for us to remember that uh, anti-gun ordinances can't stop every tragedy. There's no way to legislate against uh, violent acts. And, and so here, what the bill would do is it, is it protects people's constitutional rights. Again, I just want to point out that Gates is conflating the violation of the U.S. Constitution with violating a state law. And so this bill passes and gets signed by Governor Rick Scott, and it creates a really serious chilling effect on anyone who wants to tackle this issue of gun control, like how local governments used to do it in Florida. And Governor Scott tells local governments across the state that they have to repeal any existing ordinances they had on the books. So if we flash forward a few years to 2014, Danny, we're in the city of Tallahassee, and the local city commission there really kind of had this standout moment. They were feeling pressured to remove an old gun control ordinance from their books. And it wasn't being enforced, but it said that you couldn't fire guns in city parks. And a little-known city commissioner at the time, Andrew Gillum, decided he was going to take a stand on this. I don't, I don't want to be caught on record voting to repeal the prohibition of the firing of guns in our parks and recreation system. This is where thousands of families and children go to play, to feel safe, um, to feel under the protection uh, of us. And frankly, in a state where stand your ground is the law of the land, 
uh, I don't want to create any more additional avenues where uh, that law can be applied and used to justify, I think, undue crimes against humanity and other citizens. And in that meeting, he's getting legal counsel from the city attorney telling him that they should repeal that old ordinance because he could be at risk of getting penalized. Probably by even voting against this, it could be argued that I am standing in contraband to the state law and can be held personally liable for up to $5,000. Uh, I can be open to lawsuit personally. I understand what you're saying, attorney, and I think, you know, you, you have to do what you've got to do in your job and in your capacity, but, you know, sue me. I mean, I, I, I vote against. And guns rights advocacy groups did sue him for not removing the city of Tallahassee's old law. Gillum ultimately won the lawsuit in 2017, when Florida's first district court of appeals sided with the city's decision to leave the ordinance on the books, even though it was unenforceable. And that moment where Andrew Gillum decides to take a stand against repealing this old but unenforceable ordinance in Tallahassee really helped rocket his career. He later became the mayor of Tallahassee and then the Democratic nominee for the governor in 2018. And during that campaign for governor, something happened in Florida that would change everything in the state when it comes to gun control. February 14, 2018. 17 students, faculty, and staff were killed, and 17 more were injured when a gunman stormed Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland with an AR-15. The March for Our Lives movement that followed the tragedy, that chant of never again, became a national cry for gun control, not just in Florida. There were marches all over the country and the globe as far away as London, Rome, Berlin, and Sydney, Australia. Emma Gonzalez, who now goes by X, was 18 then. They survived the shooting and gave a speech at the DC march. Six minutes and 20 seconds with an AR-15, and my friend Carmen would never complain to me about piano practice. Aaron Feist would never call Kira Miss Sunshine. Alex Schachter would never walk into school with his brother Ryan. Scott Beagle would never joke around with Cameron at camp. When politicians say that your voice doesn't matter because the NRA owns them, we say no more. Fellow survivor David Hogg also became one of the most known gun control advocates in the nation really overnight. When politicians send their thoughts and prayers with no action, we say no more. And to those politicians supported by the NRA that allow the continued slaughter of our children and our future, I say get your resumes ready. After the shooting, some of the first people he started contacting were local officials. People like Dan Daly. Now he's a Democratic state representative representing Coral Springs. But back then, he was a local official, a city commissioner in Coral Springs, right next to Parkland. And I actually talked with Daly to ask him how that conversation went. And, and we got to talking, and he goes, Dan, do something. Just promise me that you will do something. And do you know how difficult it was for me to turn back to him and say, David, I can't. I can't because I'm legally prohibited 
from even touching anything related to guns. That's 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 hard. That is a hard conversation to have, particularly with that young man the day after he watched his friends get shot and killed in my community. Daly couldn't do anything about gun control when he was a Coral Springs city commissioner because of the statewide ban on local governments passing their own gun control. Plus, if he tried, he could get removed from office, fined, and or sued. But the state could act, and they did. The state law that came out of the Parkland tragedy raised the age you would have to be to buy guns in Florida from 18 to 21 years old. It created red flag laws that let police take someone's guns away if they've been deemed a danger. And it made it a felony to buy or sell accessories for guns called bump stocks. Bump stocks are designed to make guns fire more bullets faster, like an automatic weapon. And automatic weapons, I'll mention, have been illegal under federal law for a long time. The only, the only, the only reasonable gun reform that Tallahassee has looked at in the past 25 years occurred in the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act. Now, listen, I'll give credit where credit is due. Given how strong the NRA's stranglehold has been on Tallahassee, that was a step in the right direction. But it's too little, too late. And so after Parkland, there is movement on gun control. But it's only at the state level where it's allowed. In the meantime, local governments are still hearing about it because the people who live in a lot of these more densely populated urban areas They want to go further than the state. They want to do things like ban guns from parks, ban AR-15s, and things like that. The city of Weston in Broward County is one of those cities that wants to make those local bans after the Parkland school shooting. But the mayor at the time, Daniel Sturmer, knows he legally can't without repercussions. We had an emergency meeting of the Weston City Commission whereby, amongst other things, I asked for the commission's consensus to ask our lawyer to prepare and file a lawsuit, which the commission unanimously did. They argued those personal penalties should not apply because they're doing their jobs as elected officials. We then sought other cities and other elected officials to join us, not only here in South Florida, but across the state of Florida, because it was important. And to be clear, this issue is not about the Second Amendment. It's about the penalty provisions. Again, those penalty provisions being the $5,000 fine, the possibility of being removed from office, and the inability to use government money to back them if they get sued. And something we should keep in mind here is that, remember Parkland and Weston? They're in Broward County. And Broward used to have one of the strongest county gun control laws in the whole state before 1987 when Tallahassee took over. And now we're in 2021. This year, the Florida legislature voted to strengthen those penalty provisions even more than before. The new law that took effect on July 1st says that policies about gun control don't have to be written down for a local official to get personally fined or removed from office. They can be, quote, unwritten policies, which are not really defined anywhere. So it's kind of up to interpretation about what that even means. 
State Rep Dan Daly argues that this means now even talking about gun control at the local level could be illegal. And to be clear, that's his interpretation of this. And he says this extra layer to the penalties in the law really just makes the chilling effect, well, chillier. It, it can just be in the course of conversation as a, as a, as a municipal body. They could talk about, hey, what, what can we do around this issue of guns? If a local community decides, hey, um, we want to see the city commission take action on this and the city commission has a conversation about it, I think that that, under this new law, triggers that statute and triggers those penalty provisions. But on the other side of this, Republicans argue that personal penalties are the only way elected officials can be stopped from brazenly defying the state ban on local gun control laws. I talked with Republican State Senator Dennis Baxley about this. He represents the Ocala area in North Central Florida. I used to be a mayor in a small town, so I know you're responsible for what happens in your community. But at the same time, you've got to know your boundaries or you will make mistakes. Baxley is one of the most powerful lawmakers in Tallahassee and also one of the most outspoken pro-gun advocates there. You can't hide behind your position and let the people or the government pay for it. But it's a personal liability if you choose to violate what you know is a preemption. If your outlook is, I don't care what they say, we run things here and we're going to take care of it. Well, if it's not affecting you personally to take that posture, then you will take risk and pass things that you know don't fit under that preemption. But if you're going to experience personal liability, you will think twice before you make that move. Local officials are thinking twice before they make a move related to gun control. When I talked to State Representative Dan Daly, he explained to me why he thinks that the Republican-led legislature got away with strengthening the penalties for local officials around guns just this past session. I don't think enough people know, right? And most of them don't know about most of what goes on in Tallahassee. And I think that's in large part by design by the folks in the legislature, right? It's a six hour from where we live in South Florida. It's a six hour, seven hour trek up to Tallahassee to pay attention, to have your voice heard, to speak in committee, to to rally, to protest, to do anything, right? So it's incredibly hard. And then you add in COVID where you've essentially closed out the Capitol to the public And it takes on a whole new form. While Florida was largely open for business by the time lawmakers met in Tallahassee in March of this year, the Capitol didn't reopen to the public until one week after session ended. So I don't blame the general public for not knowing about it, right? They've got more important things to do. But we need to make sure, I need to make sure, you need to make sure, and others need to know this is the reality of the situation. In the meantime, some local governments are still trying to push back even with the limits from the state. A lawsuit that was filed in the aftermath of the Parkland shooting is ongoing. In that case, cities in Broward County and across Florida banded together to sue the state. They argue that elected officials are exempt from the kind of personal penalties and fines they're threatened with under state law if they pass local gun control rules. So far, the courts have largely shot that case down. An appeals court recently refused to send it up the chain to the Florida Supreme Court. So now those lawmakers are pleading directly with the Florida Supreme Court to take the case. Former mayor of Weston, Daniel Sturmer, told me he never expected this to be a quick or easy lawsuit in the state of Florida. Sturmer and the other local officials, they didn't want to be in this position. But here they are, and they're going to keep going. 
We will continue to exercise all of the options available to us until we get to a final door that we just can't get through. While that lawsuit keeps stalling through the court system for who knows how long, communities are grappling with a tick-tick of everyday gun violence. Shootings have gone up across the entire country during the pandemic, including in Florida. And the reality is, at this point, changing gun laws is not in any city or town or county's toolkit to try to address that problem. Katie Switalski-Munoz covers Broward County for WLRN. Tallahassee Takeover is a production of WLRN News. This episode was reported and produced by Katie Switalski-Munoz with me, Danny Rivero. It's edited by Lance Dixon and Alicia Zuckerman. Our engineer is Merritt Jacob. Archival news clips you heard in this episode came from WPLG, WFOR, and WTVJ. I'm Danny Rivero. See you next time.